Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good evening, folks, or good morning. Where the heck in the world you are? It's V, the Grill Economist, and we have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction whatsoever. The one and only Matthew Erd is here. You can find him over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. And make sure you get his latest books, folks. It is perennial. It is the Unfinished Symphony, Volume 1 and Volume 2. It is amazing. Make sure you get it. It is a great gift. And make sure you also subscribe to his Substack. Matt is a brain trust of knowledge in terms of what is happening, not only in history, but all that has happened in history, but how it correlates to the present and where we are headed in this new multipolar world that, that is bursting on the scene as the West circles the toilet bowl of Build Back Better and wokeism and all the other nonsense that goes along with it. Matt, what's up, buddy? How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. And hopefully, just like everything else that goes into the toilet, this uh, gets flushed before it can, uh, <laughs> before people are convinced that this is uh, something they have to eat and get their kids to eat uh, for the coming yeah. generations, because this will make you really sick. Humanity as a species will be made really sick by this Build Back Better crap. Um, yep. It should be flushed fast. 100%. How is uh, Monsieur Justin Trudeau doing over there? With, uh, Still his, a failed uh, personality, uh, getting more oh, failed God. every day, apparently. A, uh, yeah. yeah. Net I, zero is uh, apparently a standard for... Um, his IQ? IQ and personality likability factor, uh, <laughs> fitness to to exist as a statesman. Um, no, he's really racing to zero. Um, yeah, no, it's quite something. Um, I right. kind of, I mean, I think everyone sort of expected a, heavy, a heavy-headed dictatorial sort of approach since he started speaking originally about the fringe minority uh, deplorables who are taking up space with unacceptable views and calling them misogynists, racists. Um, and then going so far as to even say that they're white supremacists and violent, um, despite the overwhelming evidence right outside the parliamentary window to the contrary, that these are family friendly uh, protests in the I mean, countless, countless people. I, we talked about this last week. I, I did a video on the ground. Uh, people can look at the thousands of videos of bouncy castles and free food and dancing. And oh my God. I mean, it's the most patriotic thing with all genders, all races you name it, um, all together for their freedoms. Um, so this is co the complete very opposite. So it wasn't a surprise that Trudeau did what he did. I didn't think it was going to take the form it took so quickly. Uh, but I think, you know, part of me was thinking, okay, will it be martial law in, in the conventional sense of deploying the military? He did say all options are on the table. He had no willingness to, to have any negotiation with the human beings who want their freedoms and want a, a lifting of the mandates. But I think that they... they chose to go with the current Emergency Measures Act yeah. uh, that was invoked last night with speeches by Christia Freeland and, and Trudeau because they kind of know that the military, as well as the police forces, um, have human beings in them who would yeah. likely not want to be stormtroopers for a fascist policy. And we've seen, you know, <laughs> oh, this is an amazing, amazing <laughs> little meme that uh, a friend of ours uh, <laughs> shared with us. This is great. 
That's great. That, that's that's <laughs> Bro, you seen this? The conference last night. Yeah. And they call us dictators. Hold up. I got a line. Bro. Monsieur Justin Trudeau. Quite something. But, you know, as oh, a failed God. personality, part of the reason that people have to understand how, how psychologically this guy is wired is that, you know, he's been living under his dad's shadow. Um, his dad himself was not, you know, he was, a smart, he was a smarter technocrat than Justin, obviously. He kind of had a better sense of the game that he was a part of. But he was also not a, a, a man unto himself. He was a Fabian yeah. Society operative, recruited under William Yandel Elliott, a Rhodes Scholar in Harvard. Uh, he was first recruited by the by certain networks of Jesuits in Quebec before sent to Harvard um, as a as a little like pro fascist admirer of uh, of a Quebec Nazi who was put into a, deten- a detention camp in World War II. But this guy was a pro fascist as a teenager. He was then deployed, cultivated under William Yandel Elliott's Chatham House of Harvard, then sent off into uh, the London School of Economics, um, where he was brought into the Fabian Society under Harold Lasky, a, a major Fabian Society controller. And then deployed for a 500-day trip around the world to sort of get right. the sights and, and learn the mechanisms of the international British Empire in 1949-50, when the empire was sort of rewiring itself to recapture control of its of its colonies that were getting uh, too many independent-minded thoughts, you know. So, and then he was deployed back to come to Canada um, to be um, to sort of learn the ropes in the Privy Council office, where Pierre Trudeau was handled his entire time in Ottawa by uh, by people who were themselves road scholars like F.R. Scott, the, the, one of the co-founders of the Fabian Society, and uh, and essentially ran an operation um, yeah. that took a decade to affect as a technocratic de-Christianization uh, of Quebec, the most Christian sort of or Catholic uh, beachhead in North America, very re- resistant to eugenics, Darwinistic reforms of the education system. So the, the Quebec Catholics had a certain moral sensitivity to the anti-human agenda being put into the culture, and that had to be extracted. And so Pierre Elliott Trudeau, his job was a part of that machine to to do that extraction, which came about in the 1961, you know, what they call the silent revolution, the overthrowing mm-hmm. of the old guard elites of the Catholic uh, church and the replacement of a new guard of technocrats beholden to the city of London and the roundtable movement, which were basically just a secular um, sociopathic Davos crowd style, you know, new elite. And, ju- you know, Pierre Elliott Trudeau came out of that. And then they replicated this reform that was first done in Quebec on a more mass scale on, on a federal level when, when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was recognized for his talents was installed as the, uh, the puppet prime minister who had a certain charisma, but overall it was a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, Beatles-like propaganda being run by yeah. advertising agencies to make it sound like Trudomania. They installed the guy as the prime minister, and he was there by assigned to carry out a, a more national technocratic cybernetics regime change to uh, to completely bring in a Malthusian set of, uh, I guess you could say, central command systems uh, around the Privy Council office which he did in, from 1968 to 70. And it really culminated in martial law in 1970, where uh, the, the remnants, the nationalist remnants uh, in Quebec, who were still pushing back against these sorts of anti-humanist reforms, had to be completely smothered, which was done in, in, a, in a 
30-day martial law period that really traumatized Canadians who lived through that who were baby boomers. They all have bad memories of like tanks rolling on the street. And it was Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the first uh, Trudeau uh, dictator who, who put this into, into play. And, uh, you know, he, was, he had his famous, you know, just watch me quote when people are like, are you really going to do this? Hmm. As it turns out, um, there's a lot of parallels because his, his son has sort of continued the family um, tradition. This is the second time this has been used. It, it changed from being the, uh, the uh, I mean, it had a certain name, the War Measures Act back in 1970. They changed the name to, in 1988 to the Emergency Measures Act, but it's essentially the same thing. And it's designed for scenarios where you have like, you know, uh, a natural disaster or a war and, you know, the typical democratic mechanisms are not adequate to, to deal with the crisis. So you have this, right. which, you know, fine, governments should have that at a time of crisis. The problem is when the, the, the thing controlling your government is the thing also creating the crisis, that's where you have a big moral problem, which was the case in 1970 where the crisis was the growth of these domestic terror groups around the FLQ, the Front Libération de Québec. It was basically a bomb-making, weather-underground sort of uh, anarchist group that was setting bombs off across all of Quebec for a few years. It really culminated in 1970 um, with the the kidnapping of two statesmen. One of them was uh, the High Commissioner from Britain, um, Cross, something cross. And the other one was Pierre Laporte, who is a uh, cabinet member of the Quebec parliament. And he actually died. Um, he was killed. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. I'm, I don't, I, I write about that in a recent article that went up on the Canadian Patriot, but all that to say the FLQ was um, all evidence that has since been gathered starting in the seventies by mainstream press agencies of Quebec demonstrated that this was a faction within the RCMP that uh, cre- that was caught red-handed spray painting FLQ on bridges and buildings in the middle of the night, stealing munitions and weapons, and then providing it to the cells, handling and managing the different FLQ cells that were carrying out operations. Um, very similar to the sorts of things that were happening under FBI's co-intel pro in the United States around that same time, and which continue to the present day, uh, frankly. I mean, we've talked about this in previous shows, right, that, that the uh-huh. the the actual acts of terrorist activities that have been intervened upon by the FBI or even the RCMP in Canada, uh, the vast majority have not been organically forming uh, things, whether domestic or otherwise, these have been planted and run steered by uh, intelligence agencies. So this is what was done back in 1970. Um, Today, you know, it's sort of a, a similar thing where you have an organic freedom movement, which it, arose naturally. It's it's a surprising thing for me. I never saw this in my life. I didn't think it was possible um, of blue collar workers, farmers, truckers who have all con- congealed. Now it's going into the third week in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've they've worked very hard um, at not only or the least liberal Gestapo. I shouldn't call them that. I mean, I don't want to get this video censored, but the uh, oh, we're, we're censor free here, buddy. We're not on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Right. Okay, Feel free. Good. COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> wow, COVID. I'm not used to saying that in an we can, we can spread as much dangerous lies and misinformation as we want, Matt. <laughs> yeah, as well. Um, yeah, no, it's cleansing. Well, uh, so anyway, the, the, um, the, there are uh, ruptures. We know that. Like within the, the Liberal Party, there are members of, par- of the Liberal 
party itself who have come out breaking with their party saying that this they've gone to Justin has gone too far. It's insane. But we've also seen evidence of different sorts of false flags from the the border uh, crossings that have been blockaded. And we've been told that this started on February 7th or so with other blockades, both in Windsor, Manitoba, B.C. And we're told in the media that this is the same process as what's going on in Ottawa or the other provinces where the legislatures have also had similar sister convoys. It's not right. the same thing. It's it's two different operations. This other thing that that blockaded the borders. Um, I've, I've got friends, we talked about this last week, um, who are on the ground, who have been taking pictures and have been, I mean, demonstrating to me very clearly that this is was always a staged operation with very few people. There is nothing there to block the actual transit of like 25% of the trade between the U.S. and Canada. The only thing right. that was, there was, you know, you did see some cops the first two days handing out free coffee to maybe the 30 or 40 uh, on foot protesters. Since then, other people did gather. Um, you know, there's always useful idiots who don't know what's going on, who joined up. Probably a lot of them are uh, legit, you know, confused Canadian citizens who didn't know what they were walking into. But the whole thing is completely staged. And that was then used as an excuse by the U.S., by the U.S. State Department, as well as the, or the Department of Homeland Security, as well as uh, the Canadian government to push this narrative that these are uh, economic domestic terrorists trying to hurt and destroy the Canadian and American blue collar economy um, and thus justify these emergency measures acts, which, I mean, if you look at these things, it's uh, first of all, they already cleared the convoy. Like the, the, the blockade has been cleared. It, that was never even an issue. But you're like, OK, now that they cleared the blockade all over Canada. It's all cleared. That was the justifier for the emergency measures across the board. Despite that, they're not letting the, the emergency measures go. It's kind of like what Hitler did with the Enabling Act in 1933. You know, he was he just told the Germans like, OK, there's a, a crisis. There's been a terrorist act on burning down the Reichstag, the parliament. I need these these uh, emergency powers momentarily. I promise I'll give them back uh, just to put out the fires. They, they were never given back. The intention was to always hold on to these as the new normal, the new way of governing, whereby very quickly all of his, uh, you know, the Nazi uh, political enemies were killed in the Night of the Long Knives in 1934. And uh, things went from bad to worse into eugenics, uh, eugenics dystopia, uh, pushing for war right afterwards. So in that sense, there's not it's not that different from what's what happened back then, except the only difference now is that you do have provinces. So there's four provinces yeah. that have called for re completely repealing their the the majority of the, the restrictions, the mandates uh, that have been very draconian, forced jabs and uh, restrictions on, on mobility, on jobs, on uh, a whole variety of levels that have what. So you have Saskatchewan, Alberta, even Ontario and Quebec, PEI, have all called uh, for varying degrees of of getting rid of these things, including the passports in most of those cases. Um, you, ha you have rebellions within, as, as I said, the Liberal Party. The, the, the fissures are breaking. You have the Conservative Party, which has gone along for two years with every single um, official narrative, you know, from the World Health Organization. They have finally now ousted their former head, uh, Aaron O'Toole, under a coup d'etat within the party. And uh, and now the party itself is finally acting like a real opposition party. They might even get, if they could get the NDP, they, the, there's two opposition groups. Um, if they could work together, they could feasibly even do a force a vote of no confidence. 
um, and force an election. That would be very good, very desirable. I don't know if it's possible if they have that moral integrity, but that's a that's a scenario. And the other thing, too, is that like now it, it's just so blatant um, that this is tyrannical, that uh, that the, the banks themselves under the Emergency Measures Act, the very banks, there's only five banks in Canada that that have, you know, the majority, like 90 percent or more of the accounts of all, all Canadians have all been effectively deputized as branch of the regime to free and suspend indefinitely all bank accounts that are, have any connection with having provided anywhere up b- above $25 of support to the convoys. Um, oh, you which is, this is, this has got to get thrown out by some sort of provincial judges or something. They got to throw this. I mean, what is the, what is the curtailing thing that can curtail this emergency powers and all the edicts? I'm sure lawsuits have to fly somewhere. You have provincial governors, you have, like you said, four provinces that told this guy to go take a, a flying leap off a cliff. How bad is this going to get? Is there any is there any pushback, uh, Matt, that, that that they can stop this from happening, especially with the bank counts? You, you need some serious leadership, as you pointed out just now. Yeah, there's four premiers who have all said they they oppose this Emergency Measures Act. It's it's across the board. Back in 1970, it was only in Quebec. No, actually, it wasn't. It was actually across Canada. That's true. No, it's a, it's a it's a full blown federal thing. Um. There, there are the Canadian Civil Liberties Group, uh, the, the big one, um, I'm forgetting the name of it, but oh yeah, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, uh, they made the point this is completely illegal, nothing even came close to the threshold of invoking the Emergency Measures Act. Um, you have, because I mean, you, you literally need to have an emergency. If you look at any of the evidence, there's never been in Ottawa any form of emergency. There's no violence or anything, except right. a couple of little things that were planted early on. Um, like, you know, white supremacist walking around with a Confederate flag fully masked a la, you know, looking like a, an Antifa who was kicked out very quickly. <laughs> These guys um, are such idiots. These federal idiots, have are, they have no brain cells whatsoever. You're showing yeah. up face covered with, a, <laughs> with an American Confederate flag. Yeah. It's In Canada. Really, I know. There's no tradition what? for that. What's um, next? They're going to they're gonna fly the Iraqi flag and it's going to be some white guy? <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it past them, frankly. I really uh, wouldn't. You know, I bet I didn't even mention this, but a lot of people don't know this. Um, it wasn't just the the inside jobs of 1970. Back in 1994, you had uh, Grant Bristol, who was the, the the head of the Canadian Heritage Front, a white supremacist group. And yeah. uh, the big scandal came out because it was discovered through uh, leaks that he was a high, uh, highly paid CSIS operative. He, he worked for CSIS, the thing that took over control of these types of counterinsurgency um, operations, these, these covert clandestine operations in 1983-84 from the, this branch of the RCMP that originally did the October crisis and many other things, bad things, oh, that, wow. that the bad publicity got so public that they were forced to create a new agency. That, that's what CSIS became. And they basically moved their departments and staff to CSIS, who had all been pretty much you know, doing the, they just kept doing the same thing. Could you tell um, the the, late, uh, the audience what CSIS is? That's the Canadian um, uh, Securities Intelligence. Uh, oh, I always yeah. mix. It's it's the Canadian Secret a- uh, Intelligence yeah, Agency. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's their um, CIA. Kind of like Canadian. Uh, uh, actually, it's like more more like FBI Canadian. than anything else. More, F- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't really do so much foreign operations the way the, C- the CIA is wired. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's all sort of in, 
interconnected. It's uh, it's integrated increasingly with uh, the Five Eyes, especially since uh, 2014, which was another moment when um, you had a bill that was passed in Parliament under Harper, again, caused by, we talked about this last week, but again, another false flag where there was a shooting that occurred in Ottawa in 2014. Oh, yeah. Carried out by the son of a woman who had formerly been um, a high-level uh, Canadian um, uh, treasurer, you, you have the the a privy council office uh, station that oversees the regulation for the RCMP as a whole, and that was her job. She was the top dog in that agency, and her husband was this Libyan uh, businessman who was, uh, you know, used a lot of his funds to overthrow Gaddafi in in 2011. Mm-hmm. Really weird family, but their son happens to be the person who was then deployed to be part of that story of having shot a couple of soldiers and then run into parliament to shoot up parliament and then got shot by the, you know, one of these parliament, eh, parliament civil servant uh, monarchists who is just sort of the guy who carries the big golden staff and like shoots him. Oh, and yeah. that's the story that then justified integrating very quickly. CSIS evermore with the five eyes, as well as passing certain things that people don't even know about that involved allowing secret testimonies, uh, secret courts involving, um, domestic terror operations and things like that. There's, there's a whole thing I had written back in 2014 on the Canadian Patriot site, but all that to say, like there's this whole friendly Dudley do right, you know, polite upright Canadian type of personage that's been projected in the media and cartoons even for a long time. This has no no bearing in reality. There's something much more nefarious and, uh, and ugly, which has been doing some nasty psyops. And it's only now that we're really seeing it come to the surface. There's there, people yes. have been happy living with the illusion of this, you know, um, n- nice, beautiful, true, no, true North st- strong and free hockey loving, <laughs> you know, polite Canadians uh, yeah. who sound American, but they're not, you know, thing. We just, and we, now they hmm? No, I was saying, yeah, they sound Americans for their boot and a, that's it. But other than that, they're Americans. And they love uh, hockey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They love hockey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, that's really it. They're, and even most Canadians, you know, they, they've been really um, given a, a tough time mentally, it just going through generation to generation of being told, you know, what makes you Canadian is that you're not American. You know, that's, so having a whole identity crafted around not being something is a weird negation of an identity usually most identities of most nations, most peoples is for something, right? There's something we fought for as a freedom movement or something that becomes an organizing point of pride around an, a national character. Most countries have something like that. Whereas the Canadian experience is we didn't fight in the American revolution. <laughs> we didn't fight to get our liberties at any moment. They were all, we were just well-behaved, you know? <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, order, good governance, and peace. That's our organizing principles. The U.S. has, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've got peace, order, and good governance. Kind of oligarchical <laughs> principle. <whatever. laughs> really, really, yeah, really sl- very slave-like. <laughs> yeah, but then you get this thing, right? You actually get what we see all of a sudden that's sparking an international protest movement of freedom coming from the real human beings, right? That be- behind the... Uh, this crafted synthetic nationalism that's been given to us as, as like animals to adapt to in a well-behaved controlled zoo. Um, there's something more fundamentally universal and human, which when you press on it too much, you get a backlash and, and it's a really inspiring thing. This is the first time I've really felt proud to be Canadian. Um, 
and so I, I'm very troubled by by these various operations, these psyops, including, you know, I was really uh, recently watching a video going through uh, some of the weird shady characters who have tried to take on control. Like there's four principal characters um, who have been trying to take control of the actual Ottawa convoy because they're the ones who controlled the money from the GoFundMe and then the the the, the give send go millions which has all been seized up you know but these are four people one of whom they're they're saying that they're the only liaisons permitted to to interface with the media one of them is a former um employee for canada's um one particular health and safety public health and safety uh minister marco mendicino she was he's the liberal party cabinet member in charge of public safety who's been calling for uh, cracking down militarily on the protesters. And this girl, um, Dagny Paulak, has been his employee, and she is the one who's been assigned to be one of the top dogs so-called managing the protest because she controls them, or she's part of the operation controlling the money. She also worked for Obama as part of the Canadians for Obama part, uh, movement and went down to the U.S. to campaign for Obama. So it's like, why would this person all of a sudden be deployed to represent truckers that are the very opposite of the liberal agenda. And then you have these other uh, operatives like uh, Benjamin Dichter, uh, Tamara uh, Leach, uh, Chris Barber, who are these people who have been just sort of put in there. They, they formerly are mainstream conservative party operatives who've been working for that party for a long time. Um, it's like it just doesn't, doesn't fit where the actual representatives who I've seen who are eloquent representing the real interests of Canadians, um, people like uh, uh, Tom Morazzo, who was somebody who was, who's been providing real leadership. He's a, he's a trucker. Um, they, they've been sort of taken out of the, uh, the, the field division. I don't know what the hell is happening to the, the former uh, leadership of, of the convoy. It's, it's a bit, there seems to be some, some, fighting going on some some attempted takeover that's been happening the the convoy itself is still a very legitimate and organic process it's still maintaining a very peaceful uh joyous courageous demeanor where people are are it seems doubling down on their their intention to stick it out i mean there's, there's been threats to take away their children um there's like over a hundred kids who are uh well over a hundred kids who are there in ottawa who and it's a very family-oriented environment and uh, and there's been threats to, to basically remove them. Um, so the truckers that I've seen, the interviews that I've seen have indicated a, a very strong understanding that that they're they're in this for the ser I mean, they understand that this is the last poss possibly the last chance to really stand up to this machine be before it goes into a dystopic hell. Um, so I think there are a few truckers who oh, are absolutely moving into the threats, you know, because everybody who is who is there are not going to have bank accounts. They're not going to have insurance anymore. Well, a lot of them already been decimated financially. They have to go all the way. For them to yeah, rescind right now, it, they yeah. might as well go go back and build concentration cabins for themselves. That's what they need well, to do. That's it, right? Back, I mean, it's, yeah, that's it. Look, yeah. they've already had two years of their life destroyed. What can, you know, there's no compromise here. They have to go all the way. They have to. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. And and I mean, I think that the level of understanding of the, the nature of this game is big. And I think they get a lot of hope from those who I've spoken to directly in the, the many interviews I've seen. There's a, an understanding that this is part of a global process. It's not about Canada per se. But I mean, we've seen it now 
um, in the United States where they're gearing up for a major uh, similar truckers convoy departing from Southern California very shortly into Washington, D.C. That's freaking out Biden's handlers. Um, you have all over Europe and France, major parallel convoys across New Zealand, Australia. I've seen giant turnouts. Um, so people are very inspired by much of this internationally, and it is forcing a, a, a reconfiguration of the the calculus of, of leadership at this point. Parties are, are having infighting, bickering. There, so it's 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 forcing changes that could never have happened if people had just been complacent, moving and adapting to the you know new world order script as they were expected to, like good little animals moving to a slaughterhouse. Um, the the system couldn't wouldn't be induced to make the types of changes to the point that I think even at first I was hearing this uh, and I thought it was a bit, a bit of a stretch, but then I, I even noticed that the, uh, the El Salvador president even said in regards when he was asked about the Ukraine, the NATO escalations and saber rattling yeah. in, in Ukraine, he was like, in Canada. yeah, he was like, if you want to know the cause of that, you got to look at what's going on in Canada. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. That's a good point. I think that a lot of this it, people underestimate the, the fear factor of the technocratic elite wannabe gods who are just so afraid of having to interface with real human beings organized, um, demanding something so clear as their constitutional natural law rights. They don't know and they're afraid of this thing. They're afraid of the the, the changes it's forcing in the governing systems. And so I think that it, a big part of the the lighting of fires, the intensification of chaos around in Ukraine has, has a lot more to do with the uh, situation unfolding in Canada than people realize. Not entirely, but a big part of it is. We can talk about that if you want to, but, or we can keep talking yeah, about that. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. Just let's dive into it. Go for it. The, um, <clears throat> Biden and, uh, and, uh, Putin had a discussion. I don't know what Putin, how, what go, what, how he feels when he interfaces with Biden. Cause it's very much like Trudeau, an older <laughs> version of Trudeau. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like uh, it, it, it's like you know when when uh, Putin said how he interfaces with um, with Obama, he said it's like playing chess with a pigeon. The pigeon walks around the chessboard, knocking over the pieces, then shits on the board and thinks it's one. That's what Putin said about Obama. Verbatim. That's super funny. Oh, it's hilarious! You can pull that. that quote. Yeah, yeah, you could actually pull that quote. So uh, <laughs> I, I think for for Putin to deal with Biden is like dealing with a retarded pigeon. Uh, that's <laughs> mentally yeah, yeah. deficient, uh, thinking it's one. I mean, this whole Russia th invasion of Ukraine thing was a giant hoax. We all knew the Russians were doing a large-scale military exercise that was scheduled to be there for, for the last two weeks. Yeah. And this is exactly the reason why the idiot Americans are like, well, on February 16th, that is when the attack is going to come. Well, February 16th, it happens to be the day after they pull the end the exercise and go home. Russians go home. We are. <laughs> We're home yeah, already. What are you talking about? It's weird that they believe their own narratives like this. Um, I mean, part of me is thinking to myself that, you know, they they definitely want, they needed Zelensky. Um, and I kind of feel for Zelensky. The guy seems like drugged up half the time. He's really stressed out. Like the guy I mean, is what like, did you be? I mean, you win an election, you know, your, your country's overthrown. You play, a, uh, you're a comedian that plays a president on a TV series in Ukraine. Next, you know, you're actually a president of Ukraine. And uh, you got these globalist guys that could assassinate you. You could wind up dead yeah. either by a nail gun or drowned in three inches of water or shot via suicide three times in the back of the head. You got to kind of worry if you're, uh, if you're, uh, uh, you know, Zelensky. Plus, 
you're in charge of leading an army of neo-Nazis. And you're a Jew on top of that, right? Like, yeah, they don't yeah. like you <laughs> for so many it's reasons. It's a lot of pressure. You know, uh, Yeah, <laughs> we, we, you and I might not be doing that great this Tuesday afternoon, Matt, but at least we're not... <laughs> We're not Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It could and, I mean, be worse. And you can see that the U.S. Uh, State Department really disapproves. They're very angry with Zelensky because he didn't go along the way he was supposed to up until now with the line that Russia was about to invade any moment. And he's had to even come out saying a few times, like, I don't actually see any evidence of that. But he's he's got to walk a fine line because they, they need... <sighs> Zelensky needs to get into, he thinks, the the EU because they cut off all of their economic uh, exchange with Russia, most of it at least, because of Bi the Biden Newland-run New neo-Nazi coup back in 2014. So that, that really killed relations with Russia. That was their primary trading partner. Now, if they're going to survive, he thinks he needs to be in with the with, with the EU. But if, if he's provoking an actual conflict with Russia by doing an invasion of East Donbass, utilizing these various paramilitary groups who are already on the ground fighting a civil war that's killed 14,000. But if that escalates, then they're not going to let him into the EU. So on the one hand, he's like walking that thing. On the other hand, he's getting pressured to be a part of an operation um, to escalate. And I think what the U.S. State Department did last week by putting out this fake news about how they have secret intelligence that they're that Russia is planning a false flag with crisis actors um, in order to blame it on the on Kiev to justify an invasion in defense of the the pro-Russian uh, Donbass Donetsk uh, Republic area. Um, I think that that's a lot of projection. There there is there is a possibility. I think that they might go for. Um, like that, that's the U.S. projecting because, I mean, the only thing that I've seen doing things like that using crisis actors and, and false flags and other things has been the, the um, you know, Anglo-American security establishment that has a long track record. I just touched on a little bit. I think everyone knows many of these horror stories. So that could be something that they engage in. We know that Britain has been lighting fires using their typical secret diplomacy and, and belligerence, um, promising, you know, more British troops and. and arms in Romania and Poland. Um, the U.S. as well, 2,000 troops, they're saying, are going to be stationed in Romania and Poland. Um, air bases as well provided um, in, in sistering countries around Ukraine. So, you know, they, they do seem to be pushing heavy against Putin's simple desires that we just go back to Minsk to, you know, recognize East and uh, Ukraine as autonomous regions that are part of Ukraine, the way Crimea used to be recognized as an, an autonomous region, but still part of Ukraine. That's totally doable. Don't join NATO. Don't do belligerent military exercises on their border. And that's all there is to it. It's a really simple, elegant solution to a lot of this. Um, those red lines are not being respected, as we, as we could see, um, on, a, on a whole variety of levels. And it's embarrassing to see the Western statecraft so-called just taking a crap on reason to the point that the British foreign minister, I forgot her name now, uh, Liz Truss went in and, uh, and even like a an absolute star. She, total she was idiot. The, Margaret she Thatcher reincarnated. Yes. A <laughs> younger, a even dumber version of herself. I know it. Oh and she even God, like went dude. and threatened in, in Russia. She threatened mm -hmm. Russia not to take over, uh, I forget these two regions uh, where she's Dun like, Boston, and Dunest. No, no, no. It wasn't even those two. It was um, 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember what you're talking about. I, I forgot the name. Which have Voronest and Rostov. Those, those yeah. are the two places. Right. And she was like, that, that is part of Ukraine. We will ne never rec recognize Russian uh, territorial sovereignty on these on these two areas. It's like, if you look at a map, they're already part of Russia, you idiot. They were exactly. never part of Ukraine. She just totally disqualified herself as having any role to play as a in in, in global moron. strategy or just even just being respected at a table but she's the foreign minister of the, of the uk i don't i don't i don't blame lavrov from walking off the stage after dealing with that idiot like i feel sorry for lavrov like if i was lavrov i'd have i'd develop a heavy drinking problem from dealing with these idiots dude these are the, see here's the difference man Many countries in the world, like Russia, China, hell, even Turkey, you have diplomats, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have India is another example. You have you have diplomatic offices that create statesmen and diplomats, right? Yeah. What the West has, the UK, the US, Canada, I was going to say Canada, but Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you don't have that. What we have is we have PR guys. They're only good in public relations. Okay, and they suck at doing that. By the way, it's PR and and and, and criminal graft. That's all they're doing. And Liz Trust is the epitome of an idiot, a total moron who is not educated. Well, they're all lawyers, Matt. That's the one. What's the, that is the one overarching theme amongst all these Western politicians. They're all lawyers. They're all lawyers. They're not schooled in geography, history, mathematics, science, engineering. Nothing. Nothing. This is no. oh my god, what a moron trust was. And she is poised to take over from blowjob, uh Boris Johnson. We call him blowjob. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really uh it's astounding the the level of just uh, the, the destruction of standards in, in you'd think that you would want to talent search a little bit more when you were gonna find somebody who's gonna be an upper level manager in uh, a very, you know, important great game. Even if you were a British oligarch, if you were somebody who was a sociopathic uh, elite, you would want to still find some talent, and they just can't find it. Um, it's it's astoundingly bad, um, and in some ways astoundingly good, because it also gives the real humans, whether it's those humans who are, are mobilizing for their freedoms on the state and national levels across Canada and the United States or Europe uh, or Australia, or whether it's actual state statesmen, as we see in positions who who are in leadership uh, places in Eurasia, in Russia, in, in China, in Iran, and beyond, uh, who have skills, who have real, not ivory tower knowledge of real things. Like, you look at the amount of scientists and engineers with, who have built things in positions of political leadership in China. It's like, my God, you know, <laughs> you can't just be a faker and all of a sudden find yourself in a, in a position of political influence. You have to have worked yourself up through a meritocratous system right you have to merit the positions of power that you are being given whereas here in the west you just have to be a part to have gone through the right davos uh training camp for young leaders or been part of the same you know the right family that put you through skull and bones and you got a little tap on your shoulder now you're going to be a, a governor and maybe a president in a short time right or running the military like a millie who has no real military experience but he looks at least like he could be a military guy in a movie um, so why not? You know, I mean, who cares if he likes critical race theory and wants all the troops to read Marx and you know, whatever. He just I wants mean, to understand. He looks his like white he could rage. be a Rambo guy. Huh? He, he just wants to understand his white rage. And then after he understands his white rage, he wants to understand 
what gender he is. That's the next thing. I think Millie, before his term is off, he will transition into the first transgendered general in the United States Army. There's no doubt about it. Did you see this thing of this? Uh, oh man, I'm just I, I didn't think the about the energy this secretary, the one in charge Didn't of waste disposal. Yep, yep, him. I'll, I'll pull him up. You keep talking. This is yeah, the most disturbing thing. Ever. I, I didn't believe it till I saw it. I, yeah, th- there's a guy who is well, not a guy, whatever he wants to be called, uh, this there or something. Um, basically a drag queen in high heels walking around the corridors of the White House every day. He is the undersecretary for in charge of nuclear waste disposal. Um, he's got a, uh, he has brought S and M. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, but, but people in, in gimp suits into the White House for like, um, informational briefing that he's provided to the civil service of the oh, way yeah. there's pictures of them like on their legs with with leather masks in this in the pentagon um, oh yeah people more sensitive about like the different types of full spectrum personality Fur- furries out there yeah all, all, yeah. all the furries and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah i'll pull this up yeah this is the guy who's been appointed by Biden to be in charge of nuclear waste disposal of the, the U S energy system uh, sector. It's, it's wild. The level of self-destruction on every level, both in the military, but also here. Um, did you find a picture of him yet? Yep. 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 Here we go. Yep. Yeah. Pull it up. Pull it up. Uh, uh, oh, is, you're going to love this, man. Y'all going to love this. Look at him. Make sure nobody's eating when they're, about to see what they're Biden's doing. new. The, the, there he is. That's, He's so courageous. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Oh yeah! Look at this. Biden's administration t- latest Department of Energy hires a queer activist who brags about his kink of leading other gay men who are pretending to be dogs around on leashes before having sex with them. There he is. Oh yeah. So oh, there's that guy. Yeah. He's he, yeah. This is his uh, Metro Weekly column called Puppy Love. Uh huh. This is what he writes. In the pup community, handlers function the same way dog owners do, keeping a watchful eye on their charge and reining in the pups if they are needed. It's the handlers who train the pups to teach them discipline, doing out re- doing out rewards and punishments based on uh, good or bad behavior. Think of any bio dog, uh, Griffin says. You can train them. It's this go do this reward system. Look, look what he says here. Uh, I can't. I can't handle this. It's too dude, much. This is- this is ridiculous. Watch. Oh, no. He goes, Brighton also explains how he has difficulty making his dog stop pretending to be a dog before he has anal sex with it. I actually oh. have trouble when we transition from puppy play to having sex. Like, no, I can't have you whimper like that when we're having sex because I don't want to mix that world. I, I don't want to mix that world. It's interesting because he doesn't have to come out of pup mode to have me fuck him. I personally have to bring him out of pup perception for me. Oh, no. but then I'm still treating him him as a submissive to me uh, this is the mental retard that are in go- this guy needs to be probably uh, either electroshock therapy uh, he needs not to be around children and animals i wouldn't trust my goldfish around this guy okay this is the kind of but 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 he's in charge of nuclear waste disposal now pray tell this matthew let's just spitball right let's just, let's just you know spitball here right Per se, you're some, you know, deep state operative that wants to pull off a wonderful false flag. And that false flag includes uh, dirty bombs of radiological nature, right? Of the radiological variety, right? 
and you want to take these dirty bombs that are radiological, where would you, what, what is the best way to smuggle radiological material? When you, is it when you have somebody who's sharp and adept actually worked in the nuclear industry, or you have somebody like this whose prior experiences has nothing to do with energy? I think he's another, No, I mean, you know, he, he did graduate. I checked, I checked. He did graduate nuclear engineering at, I forget which university. So he does have this, the, the paper oh, okay. to justify mm-hmm. him being there in that sense. Yeah. It's just everything else, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, this is the kind of guy you want. You want, you, you, you want this guy, you want puppy boy, this guy over here. And this guy yeah. is going to show up to work every day. He's going he's to yeah. be dressed like this. You, know, <laughs> you want this guy to show up. And, uh, while, while you, while you take out radiological materials out the back door. Oh, Oh, here's him. No, no, don't do it. Don't Coming do it. to the stage is someone who, right, in just, just like nine a, a few months, months this. has okay. led the Trevor Project to numerous advocacy victories. Uh, advocacy victories. Please welcome the Trevor Project's head of advocacy and government affairs, Sam Brinton. Sam Brinton. Here, fast forward a little bit. Discovered I was attracted to men when I matter-of-factly mentioned that I wasn't at all interested in the Playboy my friends had found. But instead, okay, it goes on like that. I'm sure full five minutes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I think the, the, the case has been has been advanced as far as my stomach can allow. <laughs> um, Dude, this is no, what's yeah, celebrated I'm... in the West: globo homo. Look, but, this but is but the I... thing. You know, my wife made a point. She's like, you know, we need people in Canada just need to get on their like get in a, a prayer circle and just start praying. Every single one of these guys, because number one, prayer pisses off the establishment because they hate you know Judeo Christian values. Just, just on the basis of pissing them off and making them sick to their stomach, right? Because they're shoveling global homo down everybody's throat, man. Guys who protect. This is not even. Uh, I'm a gay guy. Well, here's, I, the thing, know, here's the thing. Like, what I noticed, right? it's, it's, it's not even about. I don't want to make it about that because, like, I know a lot of like just moral gay people. I saw a lot of them at the truckers combo oh, yeah, too. Yeah, right? yeah. Even had a few, right. a few gay flags and stuff. And they're, they're you know, people are people and and whatever. Great. Um, we all have the right to our freedoms and to res- you know, I don't, I don't think the government should be in our bedrooms and all that stuff. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, it's fine. It's just when it gets ideological and it Correct. becomes anti part of an anti humanist agenda. Uh, to take down civilization. That's where you, you, you walk past the threshold. <laughs> um, it's ridiculous, bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing as well, just in the Canadian Parliament, uh, on February 4th, the there was a new bill introduced as well, which is undoubtedly going to become law, making what we just did essentially a hate crime um, called Bill C-36, an online censorship bill um done because of all of these nazi logos and and stuff at the uh the evil hateful truckers nazi rally in ottawa that's Mm -hmm. and so that was used to justify the passage or the introduction of this bill um that redefines things like hate um so it's it's all masquerading under diversity but it's a it's a censorship law right so it redefines hate speech as anything likely to expose any person or persons to hatred or contempt that's a very different definition of the sort of hate crime laws that we already have had in place for a long time. Hate crime laws, it's not like they don't exist, but now they're expanding it to if it, if it, anything you say that induces contempt in others essentially hurts other people's feelings um, or increasingly also um, undermines public trust in good governance um, in government institutions, kind of like what they also have in the, the U.S. Uh, Homeland Security documents also circulating right now. There's a new memo on February 7th, right? Saying the same thing. We have to expand these definitions um, because currently a lot of the people who are unacceptable and have un- unacceptable views 
who are conspiracy theorists or, you know, vax uh, doubters in this of science, they are troublesome, but we cannot really, they don't qualify for anti-hate crime uh, yet, but under these new laws, yes, they could. So I think what we just did, you know, would, would seriously fail <laughs> those types of, and I mean, we're not calling for hating anybody. We're just saying don't destroy civilization with messed up anti-human values. Um, that's all we're saying. <laughs> so are you still there, Avi, by the way? Yes, I'm still I, here. I was on mute. <laughs> okay, I was sure if I, okay. Um, so you have, um, and again, like a lot of this stuff is run by organizations which have been part of part and parcel of the intelligence security apparatus, like the ADL. Um, you know, we have the anti-hate network in Canada, which is funded by George Soros, funded by the Canadian government. They even did a write-up on me, um, ironically for an article that I'd published on the Canadian Patriot called debunking the myth of the Jewish conspiracy, mm -hmm. <laughs> or actually, uh, nip it in the bud and, and get across the fact that there is, uh, a British oligarchical hand going back to Babylon and before that, um, that's actually at the heart of world evil. And they took that article and they were like, oh, you said you don't like ADL or the Rothschilds or Soros in that article. Thus, you are a, a, a hate mongering network. Um, and they, they published a thing on me. Now, the head of that organization is the former uh, CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress, uh, Bernie Faber. And he's been yeah. writing and saying that the Canadian government has to use this he's one of the biggest champions for martial law in Canada for weeks already. Um, so these are all people who are very hateful and have been part of an, an operation which has been using actual terror groups to justify increased uh, security state policies in Canada and also in the United USA as well. So it's really, it's not a sign of strength though. And I think that's the important thing to keep, to keep in mind is that when you have to do things like this, it doesn't mean that you're like the martial law thing that's going on now, the Emergencies Act, it's not a sign that you have strength. If you were a sign of strength would be the confidence to sit down and talk to the, the Freedom Convoy uh, representatives and have a conversation, which Justin is incapable of doing. Christia Freeland, Mark Carney, who are all World Economic Forum uh, ideologues, they're incapable of talking to real human beings. They're only capable of speaking to people who already agree with them, which is why, again, you have to kind of feel bad for Justin in a certain way because he's been living in an echo chamber of flattery um, since he was a child, his whole life. He's only had flatterers controlling and handling his perceptions, his life, his feedback. He has no ability to self-reflect, to self-criticize like humans do. Um, he's a synthetic shell walking with a lot of insecurity. And um, and you could even see it too, where Christia Freeland was standing next to him when he was announcing the, uh, the emergency act last night. And she's like going through short circuiting, like like she's literally on a she'd been on a meth trip the 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 night before and is is like going through withdrawal. She was like spasming uh, because she doesn't know she it's not part of their experience to actually interface with real world situations. They can only interface with things that they control, the control freaks that they are, right? In in computer simulations the, that they themselves programmed. Now exactly not part of the simulation. Exactly. And, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. They cannot oper operate outside of the parameters of the computer model because why yeah. they are part of that technocratic religion. And, and it, it, this is why this whole thing is, has them flummoxed and completely short circuiting. They cannot figure out how to get themselves out of this problem. It's, it's the most craziest thing in the world. Yeah. And everything that they do only demonstrates the true because they, they like showing their true uh, oligarchical 
dictatorial hand. They they want to masquerade behind the veneer of being liberal, pro-democracy. You know, we're we're number one on the World Freedom Index, don't you know? Right? Canada, look, <laughs> they actually have this. There's, they, there's such things as the World Bank International Freedom Index, uh, where Canada is number one, Britain's number two, right? Uh, China and Russia, they're like way at the bottom, super unfreedom. Oh yeah, it's, uh, for, <laughs> but all these but, fake charts. Yeah, uh, all these fake stats. We're, we're, we're totally free, but re in reality, which has nothing to do with mathematics, um, it's demonstrating itself to be a very different thing. So, you know, they they themselves are now demonstrating that Canada has always been a tyrannical, oligarchical, uh, controlled operation under the crown, the governor general, the lieutenant governors, and a a, a complete deep state operation built into our eighteen sixty seven. Uh, constitution uh, or con articles of confederation it's been built in the whole time it's just that now that people are pushing back against it it's being forced to show its true ugly poisonous face and the veneer of uh pro-freedom or democracy is gone so people know exact the benefit is now you know what you're dealing with that's good um people who are in positions of political representation who have been voted into office who are human beings have unfortunately now got to really earn their paychecks for once because if you are have any access to your, your humanity you thought you were going to go into provincial or federal office for a paycheck or something or because you thought it would make you look good with your family no like now you're you're you have to come to terms with the fact and a lot of people are they're speaking out with the fact that they're they're positioned in one of the most brutal uh evil oligarchical systems and they do have some political clout they have some influence legally um, to stand up and represent the interests of human beings. So I'm happy to see for the first time the speeches by Pierre Poilevre, who is the uh, conservative, most likely top dog to, to be elected as the head of the conservative party. I'm happy that there's been consistent messaging that he's been putting out against the mandates, against the, the lockdowns. Um, I think that if the if his party can keep on that flank, if the People's Party of Canada, which is run by this fellow Maxime Bernier, who's got some ideological libertarian big problems conceptually. But overall, it's it's a blue-collar um, party filled with people who are normal human beings who want to make a positive change. If this can integrate into the political apparatus more coherently, people like uh, uh, Hillier as well as another uh, independent uh, working with Bernier and the People's Party, uh, kind of like it's kind of like a Trump sort of style party of Canada. If they could also continue this momentum where they've been consistently for the freedom convoy in opposition to the dictatorial mandates, then we can expect something of a bigger change. But I think the overall change is not going to happen directly from Canada per se. It's going to happen internationally by the global game because we're at the end of a system internationally. And I cannot emphasize this enough. The global system is what is changing. Um, it's breaking down, especially in the transatlantic. The idea a decade ago was that the the you know before the Belt and Road Initiative, before China and Russia strengthened themselves and their alliance, especially with other countries, before that there was only one game in town that was the unipolar rules-based international order um, that was able to do whatever it wanted, regime change anywhere it wanted. It, it got it, twin towers going down. It it got it, whatever it wanted, it got it. And now all of a sudden, it's not the only game in town. Operating system being fought for by a different part of the world around Eurasia, but that also has a, a lot of allies 
who want to survive do not want to be sacrificed in Latin America, the Caribbeans, even within the British Commonwealth structure itself of 54 British Commonwealth countries. There's many of those participants who very much don't want to die um, and are jumping on board this new economic political security architecture. Um, it's founded upon principles of win-win cooperation, large-scale economic development through big projects like we used to do. It's based upon new scientific discoveries being integrated into the system itself to upgrade and transform the system so it's open, not closed. You're not just, you know, managing diminishing rates of returns in a, in a, in a type of closed uh, Malthusian trap, right, which is the type of shrinking cage the empire wants us slaves to live in. Um, that it's not that at all. So you have right now a race for what will define the new system. And in that sense, the danger of war, I think they would rather not launch a nuclear war because those things are very hard to, to manage and control. And many of the, the oligarchical elites themselves risk being self-destroyed in the crossfire. However, I think because of the unwillingness of Russia and China to budge to the threats, there's been a lot of threats for them to just say, you know, look, give up on your sovereign aspirations, just submit to the one, you know, we'll, we'll bring you into our one world government. You can, you, you'll have your, your own elite and your own, uh, areas of control and, and we'll get along just fine. Just, just stop trying to resist, stop trying to create something new, um, and sacrifice your multi-thousand year civilizations. It'll be easier that way. Um, Besides, we know what we're doing. We've been following our computer models for several decades and look how great our societies have become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have yeah. a, a new a new way to recult uh, to reindustrialize Africa, and that is through solar panels. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that we're going to buy from you, China, and then resell it to the Africans at a higher price because we're so yeah. smart. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's so people are idiots, man. such a joke. I know. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like that. That's where the I danger. Think Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like they have a timeline in that sense. If they if they don't if that other system is not destroyed while the the Western system does blow up in a time bomb, which the which it is. I mean, the whole bubble financial speculative banking system is is designed to blow. That's what we're living through. But if that system blows and now there's chaos in the transatlantic, the, the states that are within that sinking ship will go to an alternative just as a matter of basic survival. And if that alternative has not been destroyed, which is the multipolar alliance, it's the only other game in town. If that has not been sabotaged, then they've lost. Um, it would still be ugly for a sustained period in the type, the part of the world that they have their tentacles in. They've, they would not be able to come out on top, just as we talked about the, the level of stupidification, even among their own elites, um, is just astoundingly over the top bad so they can't win in that sense and i and i do hope though that the type of nonlinear transformations force political changes across europe across north america especially in the u.s where we definitely need uh patriots to to come out with more winning hands than they have in the past few uh, 12 months um Absolutely. in order to be able to get the type of change needed to uh, to join up in the context of that breakdown crisis you've got to be if you're going to survive you got to do it by working together with Russia, China, other countries of Eurasia that want to build big projects together, that want to, you know, you, you got to do that. You, you can't treat mm. them as if, like, there's a lot of Cold War propaganda to try to convince us that they are, that China is the enemy, that Russia is the enemy. They're a totalitarian uh, state. Oh, 
They're yeah, so totalitarian they're... that they uh, they they never they they blocked any attempt of uh, of allowing mRNA vaccines into their population. They're so totalitarian. They're so totalitarian. They crack three hundred million million uh, mil- three hundred millionaires and one billionaire per day. That's how totalitarian they are. And also, they're so totalitarian that they're actually you know uh, taking their World Economic Forum trustees like Jack Ma and. Uh, taking him out any political power and stripping him down financially of most of Bingo. his authority and assets, right? letting him live a comfortable life in his mansion. But yep. they're actually cracking down on their on their deep state technocrats from the World Economic Forum. They're not letting Mike Bloomberg, who has a, a whole pro-Chinese um, um, influence operation under this new Economic Forum um, uh, outfit in Singapore, they right. won't let him actually come in. He's saying, you know, he's working with Kissinger, Bill Gates, all saying nice things about China, which confuses a lot of Western analysts who are trying to make sense of this. And they're like, oh, look at all of these bad guys who who say nice things about China. They China must be in on, right. on it. Yeah, but they're not allowed to work in China. China's keeping them out. Same thing they're with Soros. On- Sor- Soros would be arrested if he if he landed in China. He's illegal. He's banned. Yeah, he's not allowed to set up an outfit. Like it's illegal for like over four thousand Western NGOs to eat that are all tied to Five Eyes Intelligence, including Soros, to set up operations in China. It's not all. It's not legally allowed, or Russia for that matter. Um, whereas here, we have no problem with him funding uh, our our courts, our political. <laughs> Isn't that great? Policy. Like, how is that? What kind of George Soros could 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 operate? With absolute impunity in the United States, and no, but not a single, he will not be touched. No, he will not be no. touched. No, that tells no, you, folks, everything you need to know. Hmm. Absolutely, like people need to get their priorities straight and like organize their their sense of of what the hell is the power structure going on right now because be, because they don't understand it, they're so inclined to fall for. This Cold War propaganda, which worked the first time at getting a lot of truth seekers back in the 1950s who sensed that there was certainly a conspiracy to to take over and undermine their civilization. Yes, that was true, but they all tended to believe that the source of it was the big bad Chinese and Ruskies. And it wasn't the hand of this same oligarchical nest of British intelligence, uh, Anglo-Venetian families that go back to you know the days of venice babylon roman empire like it's the same freaking bloodlines and families doing the exact same thing that the american revolution was fought to break away from effectively and which never forgave those revolutionaries in 1776 for doing what they did and establishing a new role model for the rest of the like why is the world mostly made out of republics and not monarchies it's because of the experience of the U.S. with all of the problems and penetrations of deep state operations and corruption, which has been done to undermine the potency of these republics in many cases. Despite all of that, they're still republics based on, a, on an idea of the consent of the governed and not the right of hereditary orders to give you authority or take it away. It's a very important right. concept for the grand scheme of things, you know, of the human experience as a whole, as we emancipate ourselves from the the slave type structures of master slave relations that has been the majority of our experience going back as far as written records allow so this is a this is a very different state of creative evolution of our species that people need to really appreciate the u.s founding fathers were initiators of and the same enemies of it today are the same enemies of 1776 
who also tried to destroy the the Florentine Golden Renaissance in the 15th century. It's the same thing that was running the the, the Inquisition, Thomas de Torquemada, the burning of the books, the the destruction of of exploratory operations to, that were trying to investigate the the contour of the earth. There's, I mean, it's the same thing. That's that's that was yeah. there killing Cicero when Cicero was trying to defend the the Roman Republic from becoming an empire. That was the thing that that commanded his you know head being cut off and his tongue being cut out because he was a Socratic Platonic uh, force of nature rallying people to defend the true basis humanistic foundations of the Roman Republic as an anti-imperial system. It's the same thing that that commanded Jesus be killed. Emperor yeah. when Ti Emperor Tiberius uh, gave the order to Pontius Pilate, his his son-in-law in in, um, in the Middle East. You know, it, Emperor Tiberius is the guy who from the Roman Empire who carried out and and commanded the the hit the the killing the crucifixion crucifixion of Christ. Um, it's the same thing that killed Socrates. When you look at like, well, why did the Democratic Party of Athens? go along judiciously with the the execution of Socrates for corrupting the minds of the youth and getting people to to question their beliefs in the the the, the great narratives of the Roman or the the Greek the Grecian you know cult of Delphi's oligarchical pantheon of gods it's the right. same thing the whole time so it, it's it's not China right China has been fighting no I mean the, 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 the this is also home. yep Absolutely right, and this is why, like a lot of people, like they, they get turned on to things like uh, Yuri Brezhnev, right? Everybody's seen the interview from Brezhnev uh, back in the '90s. The guy Yuri Brezhnev was a so-called KGB defector, and he's like, mm. "Yes, the Russians—they were plotting to infiltrate America and subvert it with communism." And then people got, "Oh my God, the Russians and the communism!" What people fail to realize is this: Yuri Brezhnev never served in the KGB. He was a pro-Western journalist. And he left Russia in like the 80s. He created this whole mythos that he was a, a KGB agent and a defector, which at that time, the prevailing intelligentsia in the United States catered to that, that wanton uh, fable, this fantasy yeah. that this guy created. And he's been on like, you know, so many uh, talk shows in the 90s. And you see his, the, the YouTube clips that are pay, played today by Brezhnev saying, you know, Yuri Brezhnev saying, oh, yes, the Russians are. The, the, it was a communist revolution, and this is the way we're going to work. Yeah, it's a it's it's a globalist revolution that uses communism, yeah. right? Well, it's, yeah, it's exactly. And I, I think that there's this this lack of sensitivity for the nuance. People tend to want to uh, leap into conclusions in a black and white mode too easily, but using what is called lazy reasoning. They they Correct. want to use assumptions that they haven't examined from sources they haven't fully examined just because it fits with a pattern that they've been led to believe is the right pattern. Now, that is a dangerous way of thinking. Pattern formation to make to, as the basis of making a conclusion is not good. Pattern formation is a useful tool amongst many tools in, in a conceptual tool basket to construct um, an artifice of, of, of thought, right? Concepts. And, and concepts, you know, it's amazing how people could be like engineers or, or um, construction workers, and they're so disciplined at not cutting corners, at doing everything right with a blueprint, right? You're going you're gonna to lay your foundation. You're going to use your proper cutting. You're not going to skip steps because otherwise the structure that you're trying to build is going to collapse into itself. 
Um, but yet when it comes to thinking um, about and, and developing and constructing coherent uh, thought concepts that explain problems, they get so sloppy in their thinking. The thing with communism is that, yeah, okay, sure. There, there are um, the, the veneer of communistic um, aspects to the new world order. Okay. Yeah. The idea of getting rid of individualism and individual property and creating uh, this sort of type of uh, utopic super state elements of that within it. Yes. Agreed. Um, if you look at the, 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 what do you call it? The um, critical race theory that's contaminated our schools. Yeah. There, yeah. this is, this is tied to an integration of Freudian psychoanalysis and, and Marxism um, and, and social theory with like Emil, Emil, uh, 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 I'm forgetting his name. Anyway, there's, there's a combination of, of psychoanalysis, sociology, Marxist theory that they've packaged in a, in a deconstructionist sort of ideology that has put anybody who is of a view that traditions and truth exist as being part of an authoritarian, obsolete class of white male um masters want to suppress the weak so yeah there there are those things this stuff comes out of certain bolsheviks even you know that were put there and funded by leading bankers like lord milner like uh warburg max warburg and jacob schiff uh that funded the bolshevik revolution that were integrated with the russian okrana that was the Russian secret intelligence that was working on fueling anarchist movements throughout the 19th century that killed great czars like Alexander II, or, uh, I mean, there's so many Russian statesmen who were killed by operations run by their so-called secret, their Okrana, um, that was integrated with British intelligence, French intelligence. I mean, there's this whole international fifth column. And, um, and so the Bolshevik anarchy, you know, thing came out of that process of trying to weaponize, the impoverished masses against the state. Many of those impoverished masses had very good reasons to be grieved, right, by the injustice of the Russian system, of the czarist system, but they were being used, kind of like the protesters in Canada who found themselves participating in these blockades. They, you know, a lot of them didn't know what the hell, what they were walking into and how it was a stage-managed operation to justify a political response. But this is what happened in the Bolshevik period. And if you look at a lot of the um, the Bolsheviks, some of them were human beings who actually want who were patriots of Russia. So after yeah. the the czar's the czarist system was ousted, you had a battle within within the Bolshevik party itself too between different factions. The 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 Wall Street London faction that or financiers wanted one of the factions specifically Trotsky. Trotsky, they wanted him to be the dictator of Russia. Um, you know, Trotsky was a real, real poisonous character who loved uh, this Jesuitical mode of creating conspiracies and counter conspiracies. Like that's part of the Fabian Society technique of infiltration and creating fifth columns everywhere. And yeah. this is the guy who, you know, he he was part of an operation with Bakunin who tried to kill and actually did probably kill Lenin, um, who was had his own problems, but he at least didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want to have at the end of the day, uh, he spoke out against a global revolution. He didn't want that after he got in power and he, he believed in a certain principle of voluntarism and an idea of industrial development and electrification of Russia. And 
and this was all useful things, but he didn't like Trotsky. And um, and ultimately, only when Stalin came in did he ban Trotsky, kick him out in 27. And uh, Trotsky immediately went to work internationally, creating the, you know different operations with Bertrand Russell and many others in, in America. All funded by by Harriman uh, uh, Brown and uh, the the the, uh, the George H W Bush's dad, Prescott Bush's yeah. uh, firm, Harriman Brown. Funded yeah, and that's what Armin Hammer, Armin Hammer, who was a big player in uh, under Trotsky uh, in Russia, like this guy was a, a billionaire before there were billionaires. There was Armin Hammer. He was kind of like a Soros character who made up made billion so much money um, with the Rockefeller interests um, in the 20s in Russia. And Armin Hammer was also kicked out. He, he complained that he wasn't allowed to come back into Russia after Trotsky was kicked out. And he was only able to come back in the second Stalin died under his own mysterious circumstances. Um, and I noticed that somebody texts in uh, Tom Paine for the first time. I Oh, Tom Paine. Yeah, of course. Texting Tom Paine uh, said, didn't Trotsky followers shape America's uh, neocon thought? Exactly. People like James Burnham. Uh, my, my Cynthia Chung, uh, my wife, is writing a series uh, developing how the Trotskyites uh, not only created the neoconservative movement, people like Albert Volstetter who went on to, to basically run the Rand Corporation. You might even want to interview Cynthia uh, in, in the next week or two yes. on this because her papers are just being published now Definitely. on how the Rand Corporation, which shaped the Cold War designs for mutually assured destruction, were all run by Trotskyites. After Trotsky was deemed, you know, at a certain point in 1940, he, he outlived his usefulness and he was eliminated. But all of these guys had then moved on and, and transformed themselves to be the foundation of what became um richard pearl's what this is what richard pearl came out of as a disciple of, of albert wolstetter um these are the people who became dick like dick cheney rumsfeld all of these characters were generated by they were all early on trotskyites so you you, you had this you had also the trotskyite stay behinds in russia who had been working with the nazis in germany and the japanese fascists and the british fascists as a fifth column who tried to kill Stalin and overthrow and, and reinstall Trotsky on several occasions in the 1930s. And uh, this is something which, you know, has been exposed in a few places, but uh, Grover Fur has done some amazing research on this. I had always believed that the, the Moscow trials that yeah. sort of nipped this conspiracy, this fifth column in the bud, I had been led to believe because I'd, I'd also read the same typical books, which are everywhere. Uh, painting Stalin as the number one key bad guy, even worse than Hitler. And he made up these sham trials to just get rid of his political op oppositions. But there was there was never any actual conspiracy. No, there actually was some serious high-level conspiracy and tr recently re released transcripts that have only been released in the last few years. Even in the, it just shows you who, where the, that there are still power structures suppressing this within Russia itself, within the FSB of Russia. Uh, that have only now begun to allow some of these to to be declassified, despite the fact that they've legally had to be declassified after 75 years since 2013. That's when these first one, the first wave had to be declassified. They were still holding on and withholding. So, no, when you actually read the transcripts. You look at the cross evidence. Um, no, there really was an operation run by very high level people within the military who are hardcore collaborators with the Nazis around Trotsky who wanted to kill Stalin get Russia in as a collaborator of the Nazis with its own sphere of influence. Um, I don't think that, anyway, it's a whole, whole thing, but this is the thing that shaped, that was revived and rehabilitated after Stalin died in Russia by Khrushchev. When Khrushchev begun the de-Stalinization campaigns 
basically saying, you know, giving his secret speech in 1956 um, at the, the, you know, Soviet Politburo and basically saying, okay, Stalin was this actual terrible killer. I've been withholding this whole time, but now he's dead. I'm safe to speak it out loud. And everybody in the room knew he was lying, but they went along with it because of the power structure that had been there by the state behinds. And he himself was likely a a Trotskyite as well. Um, And he rehabilitated all of these conspirators who were pro-Nazi, pro-fascist, who had been executed by Stalin. He rehabilitated them, saying they were falsely killed. And then he went in and rehabilitated a form of science, a doctrine called cybernetics that had been also outlawed, the science of control that had um, come out of Bertrand Russell's Principia Mathematica and his students that, you know, this is a science of L. Ron Hubbard. Essentially, L. Ron Hubbard did play a role in this. That's true with with uh, Alistair Crowley in a nonlinear way. Mm-hmm. But this is what was was made the governing system of controls of Russia in 1960 um, until Khrushchev was ousted in his own internal party coup in 64. Thank God, before he could even do more damage. But the damage had already been done, and it never disappeared. This fifth column only got more powerful, and in the 90s, it took power. Like this is what was brought in by the World Bank, by the Rhodes Scholars of the West, like Strobe Talbot, who ran the shock therapy of Russia. They basically brought these these ideologues, these cyberneticist uh, freaks who believed in a technocratic, you know, scientific management of society by a master class. They brought them into positions of of governance where they managed the privatization of everything and the destruction of Russia in the 90s. And this is what Putin has been fighting against for the past 20 years. There's still there's still many in positions of great power within the Russian, um, you know, liberal oriented banking system, especially, but also the big pharma complex. Um, so Russia's got their own fight, but they've actually demonstrated a fight of nationalist patriots against this thing. China has demonstrated a fight, uh, whereas we have succumbed. And that's where we definitely need to have more humility when we talk about Eurasia and more self-awareness of like not skipping steps. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we see them as not, we see them as not sophisticated we see them as backward. We see them as 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 not as advanced as we are, and none of that could be true. This is like that all whole entire Orwell thing, you know. Uh, Oceania is always at war with East Asia, and those who mm. lived in Oceania always believed that East Asia was just a a, a horde of barbarians that are backward, you know, mm. and 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 deserving because they're less technically inclined and they're not that smart. That we're the we're the, uh, um, the, 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 the harbingers and we're the, we're the uh, protectors of the light of Prometheus and we need to, you know, wipe out East Asia. It's the same thing. Like, unless, like, you've actually, you know, I have friends of mine that are Western friends that have been living in China for decades. I cannot pay them to come back to the United States. I cannot yeah, me too. pay them to come back to the U.S. In fact, when this whole thing was going on, and they're traveling, they'll go back to like China. They're like, yeah, man, I'm back in the land of the free. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Just to mess with my head because I was yeah. so damn programmed with a lot of things. I had so many preconceived notions, which all turned out to be a lie. All of it. We all did, man. No, absolutely. I mean, just by virtue of having been processed in our in our system. Yeah, like we've we had to overcome a lot of programming. But yeah, it's absolutely the case. And people say, oh, yeah, but you can't say what you're saying right now. You can't. If you were in China, you wouldn't be allowed to criticize the government or try that's, to expose that's bull. You. Huh? Spend some time on WeChat. That's bull. Spend some time on WeChat. People are criticizing the government all the time. The difference is yeah. you, you, you know, what people don't understand is how things are run there. And and I, and I think uh, I forgot the name of the guy who wrote the book, uh, Here Comes China. 
But he said it best. It's democracy on the bottom, data in the middle, and talent at the top. You have a meritocracy on top. So yeah. they, they do listen. They, the, the, the only time they go after you is when you're spewing Western propaganda and they suspect you of being a plant, a rabble rouser. Because there are certain, because they're pretty privy to what are the catchphrases, the axioms that are used in Western circles. Mm. They're privy to that. So if you try to understand China from a Western standpoint, standpoint, you'll never get it. But do you understand from a cultural standpoint? Like me, myself personally, would I want to go live there? No, I, I don't. I personally yeah. don't. But I respect what they have and I respect what they've created. And there's a lot we could actually utilize and learn from how they do things and incorporate it here. We need term limits. We need we need a meritocracy in in, in, in a lot of regard uh, as, as to uh, as to uh, what they are here. And no, they're not communists at all. They're a meritocracy. They really yeah. are. Well, it's, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's all the, I mean, the thing is that the, you're dealing with words. Uh, yeah. Nominalists will will nominalism will 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 lobotomize you because yes, reality is not in a definition. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's confusing for people because it's the, the main party. The only party is the Communist Party of China. So communist, right? Um, right? They certainly have no problem with Marx. You hear Xi Jinping talking about him enough. But at the same time, if you actually look at what they're doing and you look at what Marx was saying, it's very different. It's, you know, right. there was no place for the type of private sector uh fruitfulness that we see with the amount of patents, intellectual patents, new discoveries and inventions in China uh, that are outpacing the quantity that were, are coming out of the U.S. patent office in the in the West, uh, the amount of businesses, private sector businesses that are flourishing, private enterprise flourishing, um, that there's no place for that um, right. in the, the and look, here's the thing system. The other, yeah. Exactly. And here's another thing. As I said in the beginning of the broadcast, they're breaking 300 millionaires and one billionaire per day. The highest concentration of female billionaires in the world today is in China. That cannot happen in a communist system. Sorry. No, it cannot. It's, it's antagonistic <laughs> completely. And, and a completely. part of it, too, is when you look at uh, – there's a pragmatism, a useful pragmatism, a philosophy of pragmatism, but that's tied to something universal with Confucianism and Mencius. So there's been – under Mao – I'm, we're just going to go on. I guess it's it's over an hour by far, but whatever. Um, under Mao and the Gang of Four that ran the Cultural Revolution, correct? There was a destruction of everything old: Buddhist, Confucian. Uh, if it was old, it was declared obsolete and had to be destroyed. So monuments, books were burned. It was a real regressive, kind of like um, um, a great reset of culture. Kind of like what the the Antifa critical race theory people are trying to do today with the 1619 project. Just erase all old, presume everything old is obsolete, and start with relevant new ideas only that are permitted. Zero um, year. Hmm? Zero year. Zero yeah. year. Start yeah. with year. Yeah, reset everything to zero. Yeah. Um, it was a disaster. Millions died. It was not good. And the thing itself was run by primarily the gang of four who I'm trying to do a lot more research on. I got to get a better sense of what the hell was controlling this whole weird nexus yeah. uh, because they had enemies. And um, you know, when, when Mao died, who had developed by that time, a bit of a God complex, it was a bit problematic <laughs> to, say, to say the least. Um, the gang of four was put in prison. There was a, a counter coup, right? Mm -hmm. Now when Kissinger went in to China in 1970 and 71, 72 and, and opened the door, right? 
with Mao, the plan was, and when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was also going to China singing the praises of, of Mao and saying how the, the, the world needs a, a global cultural revolution, that's what Pierre Elliott Trudeau was, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was, was a part of. Uh, what they were, what they wanted as part of their design was for China to become a permanent slave colony with Correct. a small elite of billionaires and the majority that would forever remain poor in cheap labor factories that would then produce the things that we would use, we used to produce when we were under the industrial model, but we wouldn't be for long because we were going to become a consumer society of useless eaters eating and, and consuming and wearing cheap shit from China. And that was going to become the forever model, right? Where no nation had economic sovereignty. Everyone was dependent on a, a, a supranational elite that ran the merged uh, multinational financial houses, the corporations above the, the, the show that had been coordinated by the Bilderberger group of Prince Bernhard and Prince Philip and others, right? And, and so no, you'd only have the haves and the have-nots of the global south and then the consumer, consumer cult. Now, the thing was, when Mao died, the protection that the Gang of Four enjoyed was ended. They all were sent to prison because their enemies under Deng Xiaoping, who himself had been a, a prodigy of Zhou Enlai, were brought, they basically took power because they realized that they were being set up to be a global slave colony. Um, it wasn't, they were not going to win out on that. And then coming out of 1976-77, there was a fight against this uh, oligarchical structure that had penetrated much of the governing class. And throughout the whole of the 1980s, it was a fight between these different factions. George Soros was all over the place. The yep. futurists, the transhumanists were all brought in. In many ways, they gained hegemony in, in Soros China. and his uh, and Kissinger had their own uh, uh, prime minister that picked out. They're the guy who was going to be prime minister of, uh, of, of China. I forgot what his name was. And he was a, he was a Soros. Zhao, uh, everyone has to remember this guy's name. Zhao Ziyang? Yeah, Zhao Ziyang, right. He was called this. Yeah, he was like the Soros of China. He ran a think tank with Soros. He's the one who initiated the the infiltration of uh, the brainwashing of, of millions of young Chinese uh, intellects in Harvard and Yale and Oxford and brought them back as indoctrinated zombies to privatize kind of like what what Yeltsin had been uh, assigned to do in Russia under perestroika. Right. That was what he was doing. Um, and. China, China was never supposed to industrialize in a, in, a, in a cohesive way. It was always supposed to just have some sweatshops on the coast. The internal was always supposed to be underdeveloped and poor and, and not able to ever afford to buy the things that they made. And that was going to be the, the forever model. And then Zhao Jiang went too far. The, the operatives controlling him, which included George Bush Sr., who was on the ground in Tiananmen Square, uh, people like Gene Sharp, who was on the ground in Tiananmen Square. They, in Operation Yellowbird. Yellowbird and, and the, the entire regime change that they wanted to affect using a mass weaponized mob of young disenfranchised students and some workers, many of them, like the Canadian, you know, useful idiots who came down to the to the blockade or like many of the, the Bolshevik people, the people who joined the Bolsheviks or the Menshikovs back in the in 1904 or 05. They, they had legit grievances. There was a lot of economic injustice, but they didn't realize what they were walking into or how they were being weaponized by controllers and handlers from MI6 and the CIA. And that was designed to overthrow the entire pro-development 
part of the, the Chinese nationalists and install Zhao Jiang as the uh, unquestioned leader leader of the people, the savior of the people after supposedly the government was supposed to crack down and kill a bunch of student protesters, which, by the way, they didn't do despite the fact that one hearing me say this might think that thousands die. I know I certainly thought that. When you actually look at the evidence, it was maybe a few hundred at max, but there were a lot of Molotov cocktail throwing um, agent provocateurs who uh, killed upwards of several dozen uh, Chinese PLO uh, soldiers who themselves weren't weren't even provided weapons for the most part and were burnt alive. There's there's pictures and pictures and, and albums online of the charred carcasses of busloads of Chinese soldiers who were killed by these fifth column um, provocateurs. But all that to say, it didn't happen. Their, their regime change what did not work. And instead, the, the nationalists were able to stay in power. Zhao Jiang was taken from, from, he was removed from all of his positions. He was the head of the Chinese Communist Party, the highest position. He was taken out, put under house arrest, where he died 15 years later. Um, and his allies were either put in prison in China or many of them escaped through the triads in Hong Kong and the CIA and the and MI6 and, and housed, given sanctuary in the West. And they're the same they ones that are running the fentanyl rings today. Exact same ones, running the offshore British Cayman Island banking houses that are like laundering drug money, creating like from, from Vancouver, from Toronto, from San Francisco. Hong Kong. Yeah. All Hong, Hong Kong, Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. Exactly. And Hong Kong never really fully broke away from the British Commonwealth. You know, it nominally got, went back to China in 1997. Yeah. And I I was surprised to find out, I just spoke on the Reiner Fulmic grand jury thing uh, last Saturday. And I was surprised doing my research that um, amongst the 54 nations of the current Commonwealth that has the queen at the head of the the thing, pretty much the exact, it it is all the territory pretty much of the British empire. It's still there. Um, Hong Kong, is still a participant of many of the Commonwealth institutions even now in terms of their their judges that are British nationals, they're they're participating in Commonwealth uh, legal systems. It's really weird. And HSBC, the London-based HSBC that runs international narcotics for the much part, uh, and I mean, Cynthia Chung has written about that too, my wife, and uh, it's incredible, her, her research on this. They not only run the narcotics trade, but they also control... Uh, I think it's like a third or a of the issuance of the Hong Kong currency is issued by the, the London HSBC bank. It's there on their, their currency. You're like, what the hell? Why is this London bank still controlling your currency? And this is what useful idiots in the West think of that they're, they're, they're celebrating when they celebrate freedom and independence movements in Hong Kong against <laughs> big bad Chinese tyranny. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not doing right. that. These are people waving British flags, being coordinated by CIA operatives and MI6 operatives to run a chaos yeah. operation. You're not support. This is the same thing that was deployed to overthrow your uh, elected government of Trump in 2020. It's the same thing that's out to destroy you, is out to destroy China. Get your, your facts together. And you could see it very clearly. So, uh, you know, it's just these nuances. People have to do a little bit more work. And I would just say, if, if anybody is challenged or or um, turned off by anything I just said, I wrote two books recently, um, co-authored again with my wife, Cynthia Chung, on The Clash of the Two Americas, volume two, from 1890 to the present, has like nine chapters going through all of this stuff in detail. So you can order that on my, my website, uh, canadianpatriot.org, O-R-G. 
uh, Tom wrote, but they're singing the national anthem. And <laughs> He's just joking on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people really do think on, on that superficial of a level. It's it's wild how how yeah. how lobotomized people can be, eh? Um, this, the, but yeah, this is what people don't people. This is what people don't understand, and this is why the CIA was complaining about the fact that they can't infiltrate China. The people there actually love their government. God, it's yeah. it's weird for me as a Westerner to hear that because I've hated my government my entire life, right? Yeah. So it's weird for me. To hear that, and, and when I talk to people that live there, they're like, yeah, man, we, you know, people here, they love their government. They, if you try to overthrow it, they'll be the first to cut your throat. I'm like, really? Are they? They're just. They must be brainwashed slaves. No, no, no. This is not like North Korea. These people have access to all sorts of information. They have. They're far more educated than most Westerners. Okay, and they have a quality of life there because the the Chinese Communist Party understand if they lose the quality of life, they lose power. It's just yep. that simple. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the people living there see their lives getting better. Like it's not just like words being like, you know, you listen to Biden celebrating just how, how great the economy is and, and how much work he's done to, to <laughs> go back to normal and stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. You're saying these words, but my life is still getting worse. <laughs> and oh, everyone absolutely. I know has lives that are getting worse. Nobody, yep. you know, whereas in China you actually have, you know, like, I've got friends who, who fly back and forth regularly uh have been doing this for for many years and they just tell me and then they, I, you see the pictures every time they go back to china after spending a few even months in canada or the, or the united states it's like they're walking into almost a different world where yeah. you know you could build a high-speed rail grid or a metro system in a matter of months you know like you can see these, these uh, stop motion videos in the course of like 24 hours they could build a skyscraper um it's incredible the amount of efficiency and competency in their capacity to get things done, which impacts people, makes them want to be a part of a system which is actually going somewhere. You know, you want to be more disciplined. You don't want to waste your your soul and your your yeah, mind. Yeah, but do they do they have like you know guys who wear puppy suits that are in charge of like nuclear disposal? I don't think so. In that sense, they're, they're a little. They're not as cool as us. You know. No. <laughs> exactly the point. Yeah. <sighs> Ah, Matt, great show, buddy. Yeah, yeah, Always it was fun, fun man. To have you on. Yeah, uh, folks, again, right, send me the link when this is uh, uploaded. Uh, absolutely, and folks, again, uh, check his uh, check out his work over at thecanadianpatriot.org as well as the risingtidefoundation.net. Buy the books, buy the books, buy the books, buy the books. I cannot emphasize to you how awesome the books are. The links are in the risingtidefoundation.net. You can go there. Click the link, get the book, make it happen, get yourself educated, learn the geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic. And with that being said, we're over now. C'est la vie.